diet. So there's this little sneak preview of our new series we're starting next week called Go For It. And I want to just share kind of like a pastor moment with you. Something that God has been doing in my heart really for a couple years now, but more so it seems like he's amping it up, is this desperate desire in me to know him and to see him work in my life. And one of the things I've always struggled with, I've been in church my whole life, and one of the things I struggled with as a believer, uh, being in a minister's home, and even uh, just you know, growing up in the process, being in ministry, is I've always felt deep down that there had to be something more about this relationship with God and, and the church experience than just what we did on Sundays when we gathered together. Like it was, I mean, it was amazing to, to sing, to hear the message, and to be gripped, to be touched, uh, to, to be prayed for, but I always felt like, man, there had to be something more. I'd read the Bible and see the things Jesus did and see the things the disciples did, see the things that God promised, but I never saw those things in my life. And so I began to, really what the title of the message is, is go after it, go for it. And as I began this journey, God has begun to show me some things and begin to do some things in my life and do things through this experience that has helped me realize what I was created to be, what I was created for. And I think each of us, if you think about your relationship with God, maybe you're, you're here and, and you're a seeker, you just, you, you kind of, you know there's something more out there, but you're not quite sure what it is. There's a something more that you're looking for. But even if you are a child of God and you've, you've prayed the prayer, you've, you've decided to, to be dedicated and come week in and week out, I know that there's something in your heart that says, you know, there's got to be something more than just setting up tables and chairs week in and week out. There's got to be something more in this relationship with God. And the answer is there is. There is something more. And this sermon series, this teaching series, is going to be diving into not only what that more is, but how each of us can experience that, to really find our true purpose and true potential in Christ Jesus. I am so excited for that. And if, if you know somebody, again, that maybe doesn't attend church, if they're a Christian or not, this would be a series to come. They're going to hear about the love of God. They're going to experience probably some things. We're going to have some challenges throughout the sermon series to challenge you with, to challenge you to go out into the community and to go for it and see what God does, and then come back and report the things that God did to help all of us encourage to keep going after what God is leading us into this year. So I'm really excited about that, and I pray that you'll pray with me and take up the challenge to go for it in your own personal journey. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the message. Hello, Father. God, we just love being in your presence. God, we come and just worship your name. You are worthy of our praise. Jesus, I don't know what I'd be doing if it were not for you, but I know it wouldn't be anything good. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for coming and dying for us, providing a way to be reconciled to the Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for restoring relationship and giving us power to overcome. Thank you for your word and how if we remain in the truth, it will set us free. God, thank you for the breakthroughs that are gonna happen in someone's life today as we open your word and discuss this vital topic in our culture and in our world today. Holy Spirit, just come into this place, Lord. I just pray that you'd tenderize hearts, help us be ready to receive and respond. And this we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Amen. So we're glad you're here at Vertical Life Church. Thank you for everyone who uh, came today. I pray that you have an encounter with the living God. This is what we pray for, my wife and I. We prayed last night and this morning together, just praying God's presence be in this place. Uh, the volunteers and, and leaders and staff that uh, are here setting up at 945, we meet right outside this door. We pray the very same thing. We pray that God's presence would be here, that each one of us would have an encounter with God. And I believe that if you're open to it, God's going to do a work in your life today. Today is a week eight in our series, Walk with the Wise. It's the last week in this message series. And I've been enjoying this series. And I actually found out this week that uh, someone that uh, is attending the same school online as I am, but they're in Abu Dhabi, somewhere the other side of the world. They've been following along on the podcast, uh, the messages that we put online and uh, we're commenting about how this series has been impacting them. So that's kind of cool to know that someone all across the world is worshiping and learning with us here at Vertical Life Church. But yeah, I mean, praise God for that. But uh, I mean, it's just amazing to see the reach that you can have and not even know it, the impact uh, just by being faithful to the Lord. But today we're going to talk about a necessary issue. It's a tough issue because no one likes to talk about it. But it's a necessary issue. And if we're going to truly honor God with our lives, we need to address it. Jesus said, remain in the truth and it will set you free. So to avoid the truth and ignore subjects is actually detrimental to our spiritual health, which is why we just preach the word. We look at what the word of God says, we tackle issues head on, and we allow for opportunity for life change. This is uh, the heartbeat of why we teach what we teach and we do what we do. But we're going to take and tackle this necessary issue. Uh, matter of fact, this issue is on the top. If you look at uh, the top reasons why marriages end in divorce, this is amongst the top. The reasons why marriages fall apart, relationships crumble. It's a leading issue in causing the debt crisis in America. And not the debt crisis is not due to illegal immigration, as some people might want to say. The debt crisis in America is to a greater issue. And it is the issue of personal finances. So today we're going to take a look at wisdom for finances, what the Word of God has to say about how the people of God should be managing their money. Somebody say finances today. Finances. And no, this is not going to be a, a, full of charts and graphs. Don't worry. It's not going to be boring. But we're going to look at principles in God's Word. Um, it's true that money can buy a house, but not a home. Money can buy a bed, but not sleep. Money can buy a clock, but not time. Money can buy a book, but not knowledge. Money can buy you medicine, but not health. Money can buy you sex, but not love. You see, money isn't everything, and it often causes pain and suffering. And I tell you this because I am your friend. And as your friend, I want to take away your pain and suffering. So just send me all your money. Just kidding. And I will suffer for you, praise God. But no, for real, money is a great blessing. And really, it's a tool. It's a wonderful tool. But when it's abused, it be can become a horrible prison. It can become a horrible prison. And God has much to say about money because he knows both the benefits and the pitfalls it can provide. Why? Because God is the author of all things. He created finance. He created money. 
But the enemy has come and corrupted what he's created, which is what causes the dysfunction in our lives. And just like when we began this series, looking at the fear of God and how if we put God in his rightful place, if, if we put God in his rightful place in our lives, he will lead us to blessing. And if we want God to bless our finances, to bless our resources, the first thing that we need to do today is, number one, we need to surrender our resources to God. If you're taking notes, uh, you can also follow along on the YouVersion Bible app as well as the verses will be on the screen. But the first thing we want to look at is if you want God to bless your finances, you need to first surrender your finances to God. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce. Honor God with your wealth. Honor God with your resources. You see, the reason why many people, especially Christians, continue to end up and continue to battle money issues is not because they don't make enough money. It's because they've not honored God with their finances. It's just a reality. Proverbs 8, 20 through 21 says, I walk in righteousness in paths of justice. Those who love me inherit wealth and I will fill their treasuries. God wants desires, yearns to bless his children. It says, those who love me will inherit wealth and I will fill their treasuries. God wants to bless your life. He wants to bless you. And God, as we look in his word, he doesn't give us parameters and guidelines to, to keep us from having fun or to enjoying life. No, he gives us guidelines and parameters to lead us to good things. It's like going bowling. And I, I don't know if you knew this, but I am the world's greatest bowler. I think my high score is like 15. No, I mean, it's ridiculous. My wife like makes fun of me anytime we go bowling. But when, when I go bowling, it, it would be great if it weren't for the, the gutters that were on either side because I'd throw that ball down and just somehow it finds the gutter almost every time, right? But something that helps that's beneficial that they offer to children as they're learning to bowl is they put bumpers in the bowl, in the bowling gutters. And when you bowl, throw the ball down, instead of it falling into the pit of despair and loneliness... It bounces off the gutter and heads you back down the path, gives you a greater chance to hit some pins. And this is kind of what God's Word is doing for us in these principles of wisdom, is He's setting up barriers to kind of bounce us back onto the path that's going to lead us to blessing. Otherwise, we're going to fall into the gutter every time. He gives us guidelines to lead us to good things. And the thing, the reality is, is that everything belongs to God. I know it's hard for us to uh, really think about this because we think about, oh, this is my stuff, this is my house, this is my car, this, these are my clothes, this is my, 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 my. But yet God is the creator of all things, and it all belongs to him. It all belongs to God. But the thing about our Heavenly Father, the fact that he's a good God, a good Father, is that he's also not very stingy. Matter of fact, he's not stingy at all. And even though everything belongs to him, everything in this world belongs to our God, he does not make us give everything back to him so that we live in abject poverty. God's will is not for us to be impoverished. No, he gives us 90% 
of the increase that we receive. Everything that we get, he allows us to keep 90%, and he just simply asks for 10% of it back in faith. And this is what the Word of God calls the tithe. The first way, as believers in Christ, we need to surrender our resources and honor our resources to God. As believers, we need to tithe. We need to give our tithe to the Lord. In Proverbs 3, verse 9, as we look at it, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce. We are to give God his portion. Is it because he needs money? No. God owns it all. It's his. He owns everything. But he's trying to teach us something and lead us to something in what he sets up for us in his kingdom economy. And he asks us to give 10% as, as we work, as we receive finances, as we receive increase. He asks us to give 10% of all we earn to the storehouse, which in the New Testament age is the church of Jesus Christ. And this is how he funds his kingdom ministry all over the world. His people gain increase, they give, and he uses that, blesses that to train up leaders, ministries, send out missionaries, and, and uh, send people out, be it build training centers called churches for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how he works in the world. The tithe is how God funds the kingdom ministry, and he lays it on our heart. He calls us to tithe so we can give and fund the ministry. Uh, once you give your tithe to the church, once you tithe of your, uh, your offering, your 10%, you can then sow other financial seeds. That's called offering. Anything over and above the 10% is an offering, and he often will lay it on our heart to give to uh, this ministry or this ministry or help support missionaries given over and above our tithe. These are different ways that we give, but the part that he requires is the tithe. And again, he doesn't need money. He doesn't need your money. But he recognizes that money is required to operate in the world, and he utilizes that system and leverages that system not only to bless us, but to fill us with his, per uh, lead us to his purposes in the world. But not only does God ask for that first 10, that 10%, which is called the tithe, but he asks for the best portion of all we, uh, in, uh, rec uh, all we uh, take in, the portion of your resources uh, that you uh, receive. And the question is, is what portion of your resources is the best portion? What portion is it? If we look at Proverbs 3, uh, verse 9, again, in the King James Version, it clarifies a little bit more clearly. In verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with all the what? What's that word? First fruits. Of all the first fruits of thine increase. The best part of what you receive, of that 10%, the best part is the first 10%, not the leftovers. Not after you paid all your bills. Not after you went out and did everything you wanted to and, and bought what you wanted to buy and, and, and got to the end of the week and was scrounging for what's left over. The best part of your increase, the best part of your resources is the first 10%. That is the best part of your increase. That is what God requires. And I know there's some of you be like, man, I don't know if I can do that. But let me ask you this question. Does God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, deserve any less than our best? Does he? No. He who owns it all gave it all. 
for us. And he deserves nothing less than our best. Absolutely not. We cannot love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength if we are still withholding part of our heart from him. We cannot call him Lord, but then tell him no in the same sentence. Lord describes authority, describes surrender, describes submission. We can't call Jesus Lord and say no to him at the same time. But the reality is is that many believers don't give him what is his, his portion that he asks for, that he requires, let alone the best part that they could offer. Uh, Many believers, and we struggled with this for a long time, you know, we we grew up understanding that tithing was something that Christians do and are supposed to do. And my wife and I, we we gave, but we didn't give the first and the best. We just took our paycheck, looked at what we got gave 10%, sometimes didn't give it, depending on how our, our bills went out, but God began to convict us and, and, and lead us to really trust him, to take a step of faith. And now we give uh, off our gross, the first payment that goes out, if we can, if we can um, ensure it, is to our tithe. As soon as I get paid on Friday, I'm online giving to our online account. It's, it's not something that we're not walking out in our own lives and watching the fruit of those blessings in our lives. So this is, this is something that, that we do as well. And many believers, they, they don't give him the tenth, let alone the first tenth that he asked for. And in the book of Malachi, as God is communicating with the prophet Malachi, Malachi records this conversation with God as he's kind of rebuking the religious leaders of that day. In Malachi, he tells the religious leaders that because they were withholding the tithe, they were actually stealing from God, and the finances, the resources of Israel had been brought under a curse. And so the principle is that when you withhold God's portion, what he requires, rather than being blessed, your finances become cursed. What does that mean? Does that mean God, uh, God won't bless you at all? No, but it does mean that he can't bless you as much as he wants to, And he wants to bless you in more ways than just financially. He wants to bless you in far greater ways. Matter of fact, he told Israel, if you are faithful in the tithe, not only will you have an abundance in your produce, but you'll be protected from invaders. You'll have health. You'll never see miscarriages in your land. So many different things God promises to Israel in blessing just because they were faithful in the tithe. If you think about the story in the New Testament, you know, and we're thinking about tithing, giving God his portion, when you give God your tithe, your 10%, you're essentially uh, allowing him to bless the 90% that he allows you to keep, and you can do more with 90% blessed by God than you can do with 100% cursed by God. It's just a reality. It's a spiritual reality. But in the New Testament, there's a story. It's one of my favorite stories. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And I always like to picture like myself in the story and like seeing what's going on. And in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had been preaching all day. And like most church people do, they kind of get tired and they want to go eat. And so the disciples go to Jesus and say, hey, you know, the multitude's hungry. Send them home so they can get some food before it gets too late. Because, it, you know, it's getting to the point where they're not going to be able to buy anything. And, you know, they've been here all day. And Jesus turns to them and says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And so they're scrounging around amongst themselves trying to figure out what they had. And they were able to come up with five loaves of bread and two fish. And we're not talking about like honey, wheat, Sara Lee loaves of bread. We're talking about, you know, little pita slices about like this. I mean, it wasn't very much food. We're probably talking sardines, not 
not a walleye or, or anything that we would be proud of to pull out of the Cass River or any of our great Michigan lakes. So, I mean, we got to put this in perspective. So they had this, like, little tiny, like, sack lunch, essentially. And if you think about the story, they, they give them what they had to Jesus. Jesus blesses it, breaks it into pieces, and the baskets continue to be filled up until the entire multitude, upwards of 20-some thousand people, are not only fed, but they're stuffed and there's food left over. It's an amazing miracle. It blows the minds of those who encountered the miracle. But in, in this story, uh, like if we could retool it if we want to apply it to tithing. And if we, we had the same story and the, the disciples had this sack lunch, this little, I mean, it's all they had. And they started breaking it of themselves and starting handing it out. They wouldn't have gotten very far, would they? It wouldn't have gone very far. And the same thing is true with us. Asking God to bless our resources, asking God to bless our finances when we've not yet given what we have to him. You see, the loaves and fish had to go to Jesus. Jesus had to bless it before it could be multiplied and be sent out. And the same is true with the tithe. Before God can bless your resources, you got to give him what you have so that he can bless it and then increase your, your resources over and above what you possibly imagine. Jesus just took what the disciples had and blessed it, and it fed the multitude. But because rather than giving God what's his so he can pour out a blessing, uh, which is what he wants to do, many of us are just keeping what's his, and it's preventing him from blessing us the way he desires. You know, the common argument, again, is, man, Pastor Joey, I just can't afford to tithe. And I would say, if you read the word of God, according to the word of God, you can't afford not to. You can't afford not to tithe. Because what God wants to do in your life is far greater than what you can do yourself by keeping all your funds to yourself. It's a matter of faith. And we say God is a faithful God, but do you trust him? Do you trust him to be faithful in his word or not? Do you trust him to be Jehovah Jireh, the provider, or not? Do you trust him to bless the 90 so that you can provide for all of your needs or not? The question is, do you want to be blessed or don't you? Are you praying and praying for financial breakthrough only to continue to, you know, worry about your finances? I would say that the breakthrough is not going to come until you first honor God with the best of all your increase. You honor him in the tithe. The second way we surrender our finances to God and honor God with our resources is with our attitude. Our attitude. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 Proverbs says, first, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Just give me enough to satisfy my needs. Somebody say enough. Just give me enough. You see, the antithesis or antithesis of greed is contentment. The opposite of greed is contentment. Paul in the New Testament said that he has learned in his journey to be content whether he had a lot or whether he had very little. That in whatever situation he was in, he was content. That he was more focused and able to walk in the peace and grace of God, and that is what sustained him. And the reality is, yes, God does want to bless us, and it's not a sin to ask God for, for blessing or financial breakthrough or, you know, some things that are just on your heart. We have a good dad. I mean, I think about my own kids. I mean, I'm, I don't have the power and authority that God has to provide, but when my kids ask me for things, I don't reject them because I think their, their ask is, you know, 
not necessarily important. Like they, they want a Pop-Tart for breakfast or something like that. It's not necessarily the best and, and greatest thing they could eat. But I mean, I like seeing them happy. And so I'll give them some things they don't necessarily need just to see joy in their face. And I think God, because he's a good God, often does that, blesses us with things we don't necessarily need just because we want them. But at the same time, God wants to bless us, but there's a difference in needing help or just a desire of your heart than worshiping the things that you want. There's a difference between needing help or just, man, it'd be awesome to have that versus worshiping the things that you want. What you think about money and what you aspire to monetarily will reveal your heart attitude about your resources. A person who lusts for money or is greedy will have a difficulty being generous and having a godly attitude about their resources. A greedy person will have a difficult time tithing and honoring God first in all their increase. A greedy person will be easily caught in the stronghold of materialism and they will chase a standard of living they will never catch while they are consumed with nicer and finer things. They'll miss opportunities to sow financial seeds for, for the kingdom that would reap eternal rewards because they're too busy investing in things on themselves, finite things that will rust and become tomorrow's trash. Proverbs 28, 27 says, whoever gives, the poor will, gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. See, a greedy person is not, will not be a generous person and they will never know true riches because they're so consumed with the lie and lure of temporary wealth. A greedy person may have much in this life and may have a lot of possessions as the standard of the world uh, would determine, but they will find themselves short-handed in the next life. One of the major struggles we have in this time in this culture is really living up to culture. I mean, I don't know how many new phones and new gadgets and gizmos come out all the time. And there's like this urging and desire, man, wouldn't it be awesome to have that? Man, this phone that I have, which is state-of-the-art technology, all of a sudden becomes worthless compared to the new iPhone that's coming out. It's like technology it warps and messes with our minds as fast as it begins to go out. I mean, we look at our everyday lives. I mean, they're, they're people, they have to have their venti Starbucks latte, you know, three times a week at four bucks a pop. That's 50 bucks a month. But somehow they can't find the money to support a compassion child to raise them up out of abject poverty, which is only $40 a month. Our attitude with money will either lead us to blessing or will rob us of the blessing God wants to pour out. Our blessing will ultimately be determined by our attitude because our attitude will drive our behaviors. And here at Vertical Life Church, we believe in the value of crazy generosity. And one of our theme verses for this core value that we have for our church is Proverbs 18, 16, that says, giving a gift can open doors. It gives access to important people. And one of the things we say all the time is we believe people matter to God. Everyone matters to God, which means everyone is important. That's why when you walk in the doors of this church and we have the VIP table out there because you are a VIP. Everyone is a VIP. If you walk in here because you matter to God, if you walk in the doors of Vertical Life Church, you matter. And we want to treat you like you matter. But here's the deal. Is God is waiting to pour out his blessings on a people that are ready to capture a kingdom vision and willingly prioritize investing in the kingdom of God 
and more importantly, investing in souls and into people to have a passion for souls more so than they have a passion for Starbucks. Many people are wasting opportunities to be blessed because they're not honoring God with their finances in their tithes or in their attitude. And if we want God to bless our resources, if we want God to bless our finances, if we want our resources to be blessed, we not only need to surrender our resources, but we need to have the second point is to have godly money management. Godly money management. We live in a fast culture. Again, there's, there's a, a drive to, to spend quickly and, and save slowly. But one of the characteristic traits that many poor people have, and studies show this, you can look at different studies. Matter of fact, you can just go to Walmart and wait for payday Friday and see this right before your very eyes. It's one of the characteristics that poor people, many poor people have, is that as soon as they receive increase, as soon as they receive money, they go and spend it all. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. The wise have wealth and luxury, but the fools will spend whatever they get. And any financial advisor will tell you that wealthy people become wealthy not because of spending, but because of saving and investing. Wealthy people become wealthy not because of spending, but because of saving and investing. And for many, saving is the furthest thing on their mind. They're just trying to make it through the day, survival mode. I got some money, go pay my bills, get my groceries, have a little fun, and do it all again the next week. But as a result, there's nothing held back to bail them out of a crisis or a time of need. Proverbs 22, verse 3 says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. There is a wise way to set up your finances, and that's to ensure that you have money set aside for a rainy day, or many uh, financial advisors will call this an emergency fund, because sooner or later, you know, as the, the old adage has it, what can go bad will go bad eventually. What, what can go bad will go bad. There will be times where eventually your car is going to break down. The water heater is going to rust out. The roof is going to leak. These things are going to happen. You might get sick and need to go to the doctor. These things will happen. We live in a broken world. Brokenness will show up. When these issues occur, having a savings account with an emergency fund takes the pressure off of you, eliminates some stress, and allows you to have some peace of mind while handling the issue. But when you don't have the resources you need to take care of the problems, increased anxiety, increased in stress began to inundate you as you not only have to deal with the issue, but now also figure out how you're going to take care of it. A prudent and wise person sets aside money because they foresee the danger ahead. And there are really two basic reasons why many people don't save anything at all. These are issues that we've dealt with in our life and are still dealing with some repercussions of it. The first basic reason why people don't save, number one, is there is unrighteous debt. Somebody say unrighteous debt. There is unrighteous debt. I don't believe that all debt is unrighteous. 
Because some debt is more so an investment which will actually help you uh, in life. And more specifically, God has led my wife and I to do some things that required us to take out a loan in order to make it happen, like get a mortgage for, for a house. And we've made money on the houses that we've sold. So it actually benefited us, and it was a blessing to us to do so. So if all debt was evil, God would have had led us into sin, and I don't believe that is the case. So there are some good debts that can actually increase your quality of life like a home mortgage. But though there are some good forms of debt, there are definitely some very bad forms of debt. There are bad forms of debt. And the problem with debt is the second reason people don't save is that the debt also enslaves. Debt enslaves. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrow is what? Slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. If you read in the book of Proverbs, it says don't even lend your friends money because they become a slave to you and it automatically alters your relationship. That, that anytime you lend money or borrow money, you become a servant to the people you have borrowed from. Your money stops becoming your own because you have a debt that you must pay. Debt forces you to pay others what you could pay yourself. I think of all the money that we send out in bills to debt, and I'm thinking, man, if I could just put that in my savings account, how great would our lives be? We could do so many more things and bless so many more people. And the reality is this, that Jesus died to set us free. He died to set us free. He died, and he's given us blessings to not only bless our lives, but to use us to be a blessing to other people. And when we're strapped and steeped in debt, it handcuffs our ability to enjoy God's blessings and to be a blessing to other people. Debt enslaves. And the enemy has used the strain of debt to destroy many marriages. Financial issues are one of the top reasons why people divorce. It brings down businesses. It brings many to financial ruin. And often, debt is the catalyst for the abundance of problems. I mean, we look at our economy now. We look at the debt ceiling continues to rise. Why? Because our government is spending more money than what they're able to acquire. Charging credit cards for items you cannot afford, chasing fantasies, trying to maintain the status quo will lead you to struggle and financial Ruin. Dave Ramsey, in his teaching on Financial Peace University, he kind of proposes this question. He says, what could the people of God do for the kingdom of God if they were debt-free? What could the people of God do for the kingdom of God if they were debt-free? And you know, that reality blows my mind. If none of us had any issues, we, we didn't have any financial worries, whenever there was a need, we could meet it. Whenever there was a vision, we could chase it. Whenever there was an issue, we could tackle it. You see, we need to begin viewing our resources as God's resources, not our resources. We need to stop thinking our money is our own. And when we want to make a purchase that will leave us in debt, we need to think whether or not this purchase honors God or feeds my pride. Does this honor God or feed my pride? Will this help the kingdom of God or will this slow down its progress because it will be tied up and I will be unable to sow it? You know, we're still battling the results of debt I've made over the years. I'm, I'm praying for a financial breakthrough to get out of some of the debts I have because I believe God wants to do more with the money he's given us than for me to send it to creditors. I believe God wants the same for you. I believe God wants to set your finances free so he can do miracles with your giving. 
But the thing is, is getting out of debt is hard. It takes diligence. It takes self-control and sacrifice, often sacrificing what you want to do in order for what you need to do. And sometimes that is hard. It's stressful. In financial peace, Dave calls this concept, this, this attitude that you need to have to get out of debt, he calls it gazelle intensity, this overwhelming drive to become debt-free. And the image comes from Proverbs 6, 3 through 5. The writer of Proverbs says, follow my advice and save your life. For you've placed yourself at your friend's mercy. Now swallow your pride. Go and beg to have your name erased off the ledger. Don't put it off. Do it now. Don't rest until you do. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from the net. What God is telling us is that when it comes to debt, we need to be so intense about getting out of debt that we need to chase it like our life depended on it. Like there's a lion nipping at our heels, ready to devour us. That's how intense we need to have this pursuit over getting out of debt. The gazelle runs with such intensity to get out of danger that, that I really wanted us to get our minds around what this looked like. And so I want to show you a brief clip to demonstrate a gazelle uh, trying to flee danger. Go ahead and show that. You weren't expecting that, were you? That's too funny. No, the gazelle didn't get away. And that is not how to get out of debt. But if you think about it, the Bible says Satan is a roaring, what? Lion. Seeking who he may devour. And the deal with debt is this, that for many of us, we're not running away from the lion, but we are running full force toward the lion. And one day, we will hit the wall that leaves us dead in our tracks. We're not running away from the lion toward freedom. We're running full force toward the lion because we're not managing our money in a godly way. And one day, we'll be brought to the point of utter ruin and ask, oh God, how did this happen? You know, maybe that's been you. Maybe you've been homeless before because of decisions that you've made. Maybe you had repossessions in your life or lost relationships because of your choices. You see, when we fail to honor God in our finances, we open our finances up to be cursed by the enemy. We will have fun for a season. Yeah, that vacation was a lot of fun, but it's not so much fun when you're in financial ruin. Yeah, that, that, that new wardrobe was a lot of fun, but it's not so much fun when you're in financial ruin. Yeah, that new car was great, but that $1,000 a month payment sure doesn't feel much fun when you can't buy groceries for your family. Sooner or later, your decisions will catch up with you. And if we want God to bless our resources, we need to get out of unrighteous debt and there's no better day than to start today. We want God to bless our resources. We need to surrender our resources to God. We need godly money management. And number three is we need a strong work ethic. This is something God has been working in me from a very young age. I've struggled 
with this for a long time. This is not a message from me to you. This is from me to me, and you're just getting to hear it, okay? Strong work ethic boils down to good character. The Word of God says everything we, should, everything we do should be done for the honor and glory of God. That changes the reality of how we work in the world, of how we do our jobs, how we clean our homes, how we serve in the church. Everything we do, it should be for the honor and glory of God. And this is an area I struggled with growing up. When I was growing up, I didn't want to work hard, and I tried to find every excuse as to why I uh, didn't need to apply myself, and I've had to suffer the consequences and change some attitudes. But something God laid on my heart uh, a few years ago, uh, pulling from my own experience as well as just looking at the world and looking at attitudes and cycles and, and issues of culture and, and the way people are in, in the, the world and the struggles and issues we face, is that many of the money struggles we have uh, just have brought this to light. And God laid a message on my heart, and I kind of tucked it away because I didn't quite know for sure when I was going to preach it or how I would include it. And as I began to think about this message in this series, I began to realize that it was more so a point than it was a whole message. And, and I w now was kind of more clear on how I needed to present it. But I think that, that this is something that is just definitely needing to be discussed in our world, especially in the church of Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear my heart on this. Is this point that I'm gonna, about to make, it's for our good. It's for your good. It's for the good of our church. It's for the good of our city. It's for the good of our nation. It's for the good of the kingdom of God. And when I say this, I believe it very passionately. I believe it with all my heart that it is a sin to be poor on purpose. It is a sin to be poor on purpose. 1 Timothy 5, 8, the Word of God says, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. It is a sin to be poor on purpose. And I know there are many reasons why some people are poor. Some people are physically incapable of work. They can't work. They want to, but they can't. And there's grace for that. I believe that God has grace for those situations. They have a heart to produce. They have a heart to provide, but they're physically incapable of doing that. And I believe that those are extenuating circumstances. But there are others who could work, who know they could do something, who could do more than what they're doing right now, but out of sheer laziness, they choose not to and force everyone else to foot their bill. Proverbs 14.23 says, Work brings profit, but mere talk leads poverty. Proverbs 21.5 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Proverbs 10.4 says, Lazy people are soon poor, hard workers get rich. Proverbs 10.26, lazy people irritate their employers like vinegar to the teeth or smoke in the eyes. Not only are lazy people irritating to their employers, but they're also irritating to everyone else on the work crew. You know, you've been there. You work with some people like that. You know what I'm talking about. They're irritating. Why? They don't get anything done, and usually you are left to have to clean up after them or pull up the slack. They're the ones who get talked about in a negative way in the workplace, not in a positive way. 
They're a drain on the company's resources, and they often force everyone else to pick up their slack. Proverbs 12, 27 says, Lazy people don't even cook the game they catch, but the diligent make use of everything they find. One of the characteristics of lazy people is that lazy people only do the minimum. They don't ever go above and beyond. They barely do what is required. It's the diligent who go above and beyond, and they are the ones that receive the blessing. I said this in a previous message in this series. A pastor of mine said, if you want to get ahead in life, work hard because you'll have so little competition. And it's so true. Lazy people do the bare minimum, but the blessed, the diligent, go above and beyond. Proverbs 13, 4 says, lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. Proverbs 15, 19, a lazy person's way is blocked with briars, but the path of the upright is an open highway. The sad, true fact about laziness is that a lazy person puts their own obstacles in the way of their own success. A lazy person puts their own obstacles in the way of their own success, their, their own worst nightmare, because it's their work ethic standing in the way of their breakthrough. Proverbs 26, 13 says, the lazy person claims there's a lion. This is probably one of my favorites. It's so funny. Just, just hear what he's saying. The lazy person claims there's a lion on the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. He's coming up with an excuse to not leave his house to go do some work. There's a lion out there. But see, that's what happens. Lazy people will come up with every excuse for why they can't work or work harder or do more or stay engaged or put in a sacrificial effort to pursue even their own success. They, they make excuses as to why they can't go above and beyond for someone else, and they put the responsibility for their success on everyone else's shoulders. Something that gets under my skin is this inherent entitlement that some people seem to have. Just because they don't have money, they believe everyone else is obligated to do for them, to take care for them. It's a selfish, self-centered way of thinking. They don't even want to make the phone calls they need to to the people that they need help from, and they want other people to do it for them. When they uh, have, try to reach out to make arrangements, if someone that they're calling for help has something uh, that they're obligated to where they can't help, they then get mad at them for not being willing to just jump up and help them in a given notice. There's no appreciation for what people do in their lives to help, but there is emotional manipulation. And that emotional manipulation is an abuse of the goodwill of the people in your life who are trying to help you. It's selfish. It's self-centered. In the New Testament, Paul gave an instruction to the church about such people. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 10, and 11, he said, Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work, and meddling in other people's business. If you don't work, you don't get to eat. I want you to hear me on this, okay? Because we love people at Vertical Life Church. We believe in being crazy generous. We've done some things through this church that I've never experienced in any other church. We want to be generous. We want to help. But what we do not want to do is feed entitlement. We do not want to feed entitlement. It's not about ability. It's about willingness. It's about willingness. If you're unwilling to change and you just expect people to sacrifice for you, that's entitlement. If you're unwilling to do at least your part, that's entitlement. 
We don't want to feed entitlement because that ties up God's resources that could be better used somewhere else to benefit or bless someone that could uh, receive a life-encountering situation in their life. When we feed entitlement, it doesn't give the lazy person the motivation or opportunity they need to change. It is a sin to be poor on purpose. And if you've not been intentionally working hard to honor God in your finances, to manage your resources in a godly way, to dig yourself out of the financial pit that you've been in by using self-control and seeking counsel and doing what you need to do, if you're not working at least doing what you can in spite of what physical limitations you may or may not have, you are intentionally keeping yourself in a state of eternal dependence on others leading to financial struggle. And in essence, you're choosing to be poor on purpose. You're abusing the goodwill of others. And let me say this, that government assistance is not making a living. Government assistance is not making a living. We live in a culture and in an area where it seems like everyone has a bridge card and it's just assumed that this is a part of life. Government assistance is not providing for your needs. It's not making a living. It's other people making a living for you and making money for you to spend. Government assistance is tax money going to the government being redistributed to lower-income people to provide them resources to use. It's not making a living. If you're simply just taking and not putting anything back, you're receiving, you're not giving. If you're not working to get yourself free from government assistance, to give your, get yourself off the government, to be self-sustaining, to become a giver rather than a receiver, then I believe that there's a spiritual issue in your life. Again, there's grace for people who can't do more, but if you can and are unwilling to, there's an issue. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive, which is why we should all be working hard to give rather than receive, to be working to be the giver and not the receiver. You know, there might be a time in your life when you need help and assistance is the only option, and I believe, again, there's grace for that. There's situations where that could be uh, called on, but the goal of every believer in Christ is not to stay dependent on other people. It's to move forward so you can be the one who helps others. It's not to be dependent on other people. It's to move forward so you can help others. It is a sin to be poor on purpose. But however, I want you to hear me on this. It is not a sin to be poor on purpose. You're like, wait a minute, you just said like four different times it's a sin to be poor on purpose. Hear me out. It's not a sin to be poor on purpose if you are intentionally giving of your abundance for the kingdom of God. If you're intentionally giving of your wealth to help people in need, to reach people with the gospel of Christ, and, and to make a lasting impact. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. There's a principle in the word of God in scripture about sowing seed. The more you sow, the more you give, the more you'll get back in a harvest. In essence, you cannot outgive God. He'll give you blessings beyond what you could possibly imagine. You cannot outgive God. And there are two ways that wealth can be depleted. You can either deplete your wealth through carnal spending, spending it on yourself, or through kingdom spending, spending it on eternal uh, things of God. Carnal spending is pleasing ourselves. Kingdom spending is pleasing the Lord. When we spend carnally, our, our resources will diminish. 
they'll lose value. I, I can't, you know, get over how much we spend at Christmas time only, you know, a month or two later to see half of it end up in the trash. It's ridiculous. But investing that money into the kingdom lasts for eternity. When we spend carnally, our resources diminish, lose value instantaneously. I mean, the moment you buy a brand new car for $50,000, whatever you finance it for, the moment you drive it off the parking lot, it's less than a third of value. It's crazy, the things we do. But when we spend for the kingdom, it appreciates and becomes infinitely more eternally valuable. One life changed with the gospel of Christ becomes two when they give freely of what they've received, and then that person gives, and another life is changed, and then that person gives, and another life is changed, and those blessings will go beyond what you could possibly imagine. I just had an encounter this week, or really a phone call about an encounter that I had a few weeks ago. It's just amazing to see the difference that God can make in somebody's life. You know, living at a lower cost of living so you can spend for a greater impact on the kingdom of God is not only allowed, but it's encouraged. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. If our treasure is in stuff, it's in materialism, it's in the things of this world, it's in what we wear, what we drink, where we live, in our cars, then it's not gonna be in the kingdom of God. Jesus desires our hearts to be fully invested in the kingdom for find true treasure and living for the kingdom. There's no sin in giving of your resources sacrificially for the kingdom. And not just financially, but also your time. Your time is an is a invaluable investment. Giving of your time to sow into the kingdom. Giving of your talents, your abilities, your skills. Using what God has given you to be a benefit to the kingdom is an invaluable investment. As we look at these principles from God's word, I believe all of us here today, we need to take an inventory of our lives and ask ourselves, especially if we're in a place of financial struggle or financial ruin, if we're struggling financially, we need to ask ourselves, have we surrendered our resources to God? Have we put him first? Is he on the throne of our bank account? Is he on the throne of our checkbook? Is he on the throne of how we spend our money, of our budget? We need to take an inventory and ask, you know, are we tithing? Are we being generous to those around us? Are we sowing seeds with a heart for the kingdom? Are we growing in the area of godly financial management? Are we trying to dig ourselves out of the pit, or are we digging ourselves deeper into the pit because of a lack of self-control? Are we enabling our greed or just spending on everything, spending everything we get, or are we holding things back and saving for a rainy day? Are we working hard and having a strong work ethic so that we can be in a position to bless others? Or have we allowed laziness to be the driving force in our lives leading to ruin? The answer is no. You haven't surrendered your finances to God. You haven't been walking in wise financial management. You haven't had the character of a strong work ethic. God is calling on you. He's calling on me to repent, to make a change. And you might ask, why? Why do I need a change? Why do I need to make a decision to begin walking according to his will, according to his word today? And the answer is, it's not to shame you or condemn you or make you feel bad for making mistakes. The answer is so that you will put yourself into the center of his blessing. 
because God wants to bless your life. God wants good for you. His love is extravagant and it doesn't make sense. And when we're simply obedient, God rains down his blessings. He's simply waiting for his people to catch his vision for the kingdom of God. He's waiting on his people to choose to follow the voice of wisdom that will lead them on the path of blessing. Will you choose that path today? I wanna close with this passage of scripture and we're gonna go into a time of prayer and response and give opportunity for testimonies. If God has done something in your life this week or, or a miracle or, or whatever, we'd like you to encourage the church by sharing. But I wanna close with this passage of scripture and I want us to read it together. It's, it's a famous passage of scripture, but it's my heart for this series that each one of us would gather this as a truth into their heart, that we would ingest it deep down We begin to seek God in all of our ways. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Let's read it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us in this place. Thank you for the series. God, thank you for helping us grow in wisdom. God, thank you for peeling open just the areas of our culture and areas of our lives where we've just maybe overlooked or been dismissive or didn't realize that we were stepping out of your will so that through your love and your grace, God, that you can, through the power of your spirit, begin to lead us back to that place of blessing so that we can truly live the abundant life that Jesus came to provide. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, I just pray for financial breakthrough today. God, that those here that are struggling with their finances, I pray, God, that today they would have a heart change. Your spirit would touch them and mark them and lead them, Father, into the, uh, through your, your paths of understanding, God, to begin making decisions today that would submit their resources to you. They begin honoring you with their first and their best. They'd seek how to have godly financial money management, God, to to work their budgets in a way for their benefit and not allow their budgets to work them for their destruction. God, I pray for our attitudes about money, that it would shift and stop being self-centered and that it would be sacrificial for the kingdom. God, I pray for our work ethic, God, that the way we work and the way we live our lives would be such that it would bring you honor and glory. Let there be no lazy and effective people found among your people, God, but in every situation, in every circumstance, in every sphere, those places would be blessed, that the atmosphere would change because the people of God are in that place. That people would want to know you simply by how we work and are diligent in the world, how we're honest and have high integrity, have character that's unwavering, that we would not bring shame but glory to the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. I just pray now as we go into a time of response and prayer, Holy Spirit, just come, come, begin to work and move, Lord. I pray, God, for healing. I pray, God, for breakthrough. I pray, God, over every situation. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. So we go into a time of response. I'm just going to invite anyone who needs prayer to come forward as we stand, as Tony begins to lead us in prayer or in a song, that you come forward for prayer. If you have something to share, if God's done something in your life this week and you want to share and encourage the church or maybe God gave you a word, we have the microphone down here on the floor. Uh, We invite you to come forward at this time.
Let's all stand together. Hey, guys. Um, I hope uh, nobody was feeling condemnation today. I know that it takes a lot of courage to talk about that kind of stuff. So um, I just hope as a church we can all understand that's God's word. And I know I'm convicted in a lot of ways with hearing what I heard today. And uh, it's something I've struggled with, tithing, definitely. You know, I'm one of those that'll say, how can I afford to do that? So um, he's totally right, and, and that's God, God's word. So um, something I needed to be better about, and I just hope that none of us are feeling convicted, to, or not, not convicted, but uh, condemnation in that word today. Um, also, I wanted to share something really cool from last weekend at the uh, men's conference. Um, I'd been asking God for a long time to just reveal himself to me, reveal the gifts of the Spirit to me. And I, uh, I had my first experience with the Holy Spirit taking my tongue. He gave me my prayer language. It was the coolest experience. Um, first time I did it without leading it. So it was really awesome. Uh, that, and he also gave me a vision at an altar call. Can't tell you what it was about, but the vision itself, I just shut my eyes and God was standing right here. And he had his hand down to me. And I just took his hand and, and it was like he was just saying, I'm right here. I'm, I'm wanting to lead you. All you got to do is take my hand and just have faith in me. And I'm always right here. And I will just take you as far as you want to go if you just take my hand. So it was the coolest experience. <laughs> uh, thanks. Yeah, my name's Aaron, and yeah, about that men's conference, God was there that night, guys, and if there's anybody that goes to any kind of a church that has any kind of conferences, attend those conferences, because they really do open up your eyes, they really do open up your heart, because with me, I went before the altar that night with that same kind of pain I've had in my back since my junior year of high school. And that pain just diminished. I mean, it disappeared. I haven't had pain since that night. And I'm actually blessed to say I haven't had this kind of relief in my back and yeah, since my junior year in high school. And it feels good, guys. Prayers do get answered, and I'm happy. I'm finally getting out of my comfort zone again. And I'm finally happy to say I can actually say God does do what he does best. He does answer your prayers. I'm thankful because I gave up a drinking, I gave up crack use, I gave up so many different things that were going to literally kill me for the voice of truth, and I'm glad I finally listened to God. I'm so thankful I'm listening, because every door that's been closed on me in my life has been because of addiction, but all these doors have been opened up now because I'm listening, and I'm very thankful I'm listening. This church means a lot to me. Everybody in this means somebody. I mean, everybody in this place means something. You guys really do mean something. This uh, more than what I can say, because I'm not going to cry. I don't do that. But I know one thing, guys. If you do need prayer, please come up here. 
because prayers do get answered. They really do. I'm living proof on that. And all the stuff that I've done in my life, he still wants me. He still loves me. And I'm thankful where I'm at right now. I love you guys. Give it up for God. Give it all up for God. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for being here in this place. Father, I just praise your name. God, I thank you for every heart. God, and we thank you, Lord, now that we get to worship you with our finances. We get to put you first, to put you on the throne. God, I thank you for every giver who's been honoring you with their first fruits, who's been giving you the first and the best. And I thank you for every giver who's gonna begin today. God, that that curse that's been upon their finances and the breakthroughs they've been waiting to see, God, that that curse is gonna be undone today and that breakthrough's gonna come because they've said, Father, I'm gonna surrender to you. I'm gonna begin walking in your wisdom and I'm gonna pursue wisdom for my finances and wisdom begins with fearing you with all of my heart. Today, you get to be on the throne of my finances. Today, you get to be on the throne of my marriage. Today, you get to be on the throne uh, of every issue that I have in my life and I pursue you. So God bless us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray.